welcome to Ribbon of Memes, episode 43, a podcast where we investigate films previously described by other um, inhabitants of a dystopian future as masterpieces. Um, I am Nick, and I am joined as ever by uh, the not-replicant Roger. Paranoia is just reality on a finer scale. <laughs> um, and we are um, discussing 1995's dystopian techno-thriller, uh, Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days. And I, I have to say, first of all, that other people who describe this as a masterpiece are generally me. I mean, it's got... Yeah? It was... It got a very mixed reception. Um, it absolutely tanked box office-wise and critically, didn't it, I believe? Uh, critics like, divided. I, th- I think they were mostly negative, but certainly it made very little money. Uh, Roger, Roger Ebert was a notable exception, but I think everyone else pretty much disliked it, as far as I could tell. Yeah, also Roger Ebert was, would generally give higher ratings to stuff with sexual violence in it. I mean, hmm. no, I don't think anybody was accusing him of anything, and I'm certainly not, but... Yeah, looking over his reviews as a whole, there does seem to be that trend. Well, we may well come on to that, because that is is certainly a feature. Um, Though, perhaps, uh, well, whether it's a though or not, this, I believe, am I I wrong in thinking this is our first female director? Uh, Yeah. Is that right? Uh, With Catherine Bigelow, um, who has done uh, many things since. I think this is coming off, was it coming off the back of... um, Oh my God! The surf, the surf Point bank break. robbery. Thank you very much. Which, which um, has a it, remarkable number of interesting names in it. <laughs> I mainly remember it for the quote, "You're young, dumb, and full of cum." Um, but <laughs> uh, she, but she was mostly known for that and uh, Near Dark, a few years earlier, the vampire film. Oh, Near Dark, yeah, which actually has a reasonable number of Aliens alumni in it. Um, mm. Because and the reason for that, um, I suspect, is because there is a James Cameron connection here, in that she was his wife. Briefly, uh, not not at the time of Near Dark. Not the time of Near Dark, but by the time we are talking about Strange Days, she's well, been his wife. Not and anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Um, yeah, exactly. So Near <laughs> yeah. Dark is 87, and she's married to Cameron 89 to 91. And I, I don't know whether this got started then, um, but certainly didn't get, it was, wasn't released until 95, and I don't think it was shot until 94. Well, marital issues or non <coughs> aside, that the, I suppose the real Cameron connection is that he, uh, came up with a concept and, wrote a treatment, if not the screenplay, mm. I think, for Strange Days. Yeah, he gets um, co-screenwriting credit, I think. Yeah, I, I think... Um, I forget who actually wrote the screenplay. But it's our it's our first female director, and it is a, as I say, a dystopian... T- maybe we do need a bit more of a description, because not many people have seen Strange Days. I think it got a, a limited cult following, but still doesn't seem oh, I guess very me. much love. <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, we'll talk about it. Looking into, I mean, I was aware of it as a, a bit like Last Action Hero, except in a way the story about Last Action Hero became that it was a flop, whereas this, this was a, uh, and like Waterworld, but this, this just kind of flopped and didn't even make much of a story about flopping and didn't make Mm. a lot of stir at all. Um, so I don't quite know what went wrong. But we'll we'll see if we can work out something, uh, or if anything did go wrong, or if it was just bad luck. But the the it's a high concept, very Philip K. Dickian kind of science fiction story. At the root of it, in that we have these wires which basically allow you to experience 
exactly as another human being experiences if they're wearing the recorder and you plug it into your little um, CD player that you have in your belt. Um, and uh, during this, our anti-hero, Lenny, discovers, stumbles upon a tape which um, shows that the LAPD uh, are up to some no-good racial things, um, shock horror, um, in that they murder a prominent um, black rapper um, on camera. Um, and the the story is really about their attempts to cover that up and the attempts to release that tape or not. Mm, I mean, th- this was, of course, made in the wake of the Rodney King riots. And... Was that 92, 93? Yeah. Know, something uh, like that. I, I think one could... Yeah, it, it went away again, but at least briefly there was this vague awareness that, hey, you know, at least some big city police departments might be a bit racially biased. Yeah, yeah, well... And that, then, that well, of course, you know, a few people got slapped on the wrist and everything was better. Uh, we had sort of revenge in the O.J. Simpson. I don't, I don't want to get into him particularly, but yes, it was, <laughs> there was certainly by this point, uh, we were more into an optimistic future but when the film was released in the sense that we had... Um, a, uh, we had Bill Clinton in power and the millennium to look forward to and everything seemed a bit rosier than it had just a few years before. Um, and Strange Days, I wonder if Strange Days just didn't quite fit with the zeitgeisty narrative of the future suddenly rosy, hmm. which may be why it doesn't look, <laughs> it looks a bit more prescient than it did back then because it's more in keeping with our current feelings. Maybe. I don't know. Also, I mean, one of the classic problems of near-future uh, yeah. science fiction is that it looks dated very quickly. Well, that, so this was a film set like four years in the future from when it was released, so it really was very near-future. And it's 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 an interesting... Well, we could talk about the aesthetic, because a lot of these... You know, uh, the touchstone here, of course, is Blade Runner, which mm. is visually stunning. Um uh, and and very stylistic uh, and uh, here um, the aesthetic feels caught somewhere between actually contemporary and getting towards Blade Runner. Uh, well, and, it was and, largely a shot on location. They couldn't do large scale set dressing. Yes, so it, and it was mostly set at night, wasn't it? Just mm-hmm. um, uh, I. It feels a bit like Blade Runner halfway in a way, in the sense that it it. it it feels to be, to me at least, aesthetically. I think I might have said to you out of um, um, uh, off camera, um, off air, that we that it just feels like a standard dystopia and doesn't feel to have a lot of interesting to say, <laughs> um, at least in the setting. But it spends a flipping long time setting up this setting that is not as interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I will admit this does not need to be a two and a half hour film. No, I mean, there's 45, I think I was counting as well, but there was 45 minutes of sort of world building and slow character introduction. And the the concept of the I, wire... I, I like it, but... Yes. Yeah. I wasn't bored, but I was, all right, I don't need the wire explained to me again. I got that. I understand it. In fact, I understood it from the opening sequence, which is very good. So the opening sequence is this robbery um, during which the protagonist dies. Mm. Um and then we flip to Lenny, uh, Ray finds his character, who's the kind of skeezy dealer in this stuff. Um, and you get the concept pretty quickly there, but it is explained again at length a few times after that about what it means and what it feels like. Um, I, I think there's too much world building. I, I agree. Mm. I wasn't, I wasn't 
massively bored, but it was dragging a bit by the time the actual plot comes along. Just on a technical note, um, one of the reasons this took quite a lot of money uh, was they were developing a whole new subtype of camera to capture that this is what somebody's actually seeing as they're running around shot. Uh, that Peep Show would capitalise on as a sitcom later on. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so was it a head-mounted camera? No, no, this, this is mostly on uh, dollies and things. Okay, so it was just trying to simulate that. It does Cause, very cause well. Because at that, at that stage of the tech, you cannot get a film-quality camera down to something small. that one guy can carry and move around normally. Well, technically, so. then I think that's a great success because I would I would have believed you if they said they they managed to miniaturise head-mounted cameras in '95 because it does for me that works as a point of view thing. It, it really does feel. Hmm. I don't know that maybe I'm uh, you know I'm used to first-person shooters and that sort of thing, and it's that kind of aesthetic. Um, uh, but it, yeah, it, it does work. The tech the tech is successful. It doesn't feel like an effect. You just sort of believe it. Um, but of course, it's, it's slightly flawed in the sense you can never quite, all you're doing is seeing and hearing. And, and the point of this tech is you're there and it can't quite express that, but it does a very good job of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's see. Ooh, Wolfenstein 3D. When did that come out? Oh, I think Doom was 92. Wolfenstein might have been 1991, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 the early days are there. But it's it's it, this is uh yeah nowadays they they're all photorealistic or at least stylistic um yeah but I suppose I'm more used to that point of view thing now but it hmm. was um oh, and we perhaps come back to the point of view when we talk about mm, the rape scene or sexual violence um and how that works yeah um, and there there is one thing that um. I got the same feeling about it when I as when I first saw the Matrix, which we went way we'll come on to at some point. Yes, that you've got this idea that the thing you are experiencing seems in every detail as accurate as real life. Yes, but you never have any doubt as to whether somebody is experiencing a recording or is back in reality. Now, in in this case, perhaps it's because it's entirely passive. You know. I wonder, yeah, and I, you know, I describe this as a very Philip K. Dick technology, but I feel Philip K. Dick at least would have had much more fun with it. Exactly as you described, there would have been much more ambiguity about what was happening and who was where and what. One of the things, and it's not so much a problem as it's intro, it goes a long way to set up this tech uh, as part of the world, but. It doesn't really need it. The plot doesn't actually need this technology, and it doesn't really investigate it very much. The closest we come to it is um, the murder, the rape murder, where he manages to have the victim experience what the murderer is doing while he's... And that's the closest it comes to exploring it, really, Mm. because otherwise it's basically... You know, the the murder of the, uh, the rapper is basically... It could just be a video, you know. It would be as explosive as a video as it yeah. would be in any yeah. other sense. Um, that's not so much a complaint as I, I feel like if you're going to go to the trouble of introducing this science fiction concept, I suppose I'm used to science fiction then exploring the unforeseen implications with that technology. Which yeah, it, it does feel, I think, a bit as if it were... Um... That thing that some TV networks do of, of uh, saying, yes, this is science fiction, but don't worry, we're, we're going to make it all, yeah, we're not going to confuse you. 
I we, agree. We want with that you. mainstream audience. I, I think, yeah, I agree, and that it, it really well uh, that goes back to my point of maybe it's a bit over-explained and mm. under-explored, and and maybe that's because we are you know science fiction nerds, both of us, yeah. uh, and, and we're more used to exploring this kind of thing more. Yeah, um, um, and certainly I think it, it is one of the skills of the experienced science fiction reader and probably film watcher and so on as well that that you you can build up a world out of really quite small clues because especially yes. in written SF. The idea of simply info dumping stuff is very much out of fashion because it kills the place and so on. I, yes, and so maybe, and as as we sort of discuss here, um, when it gets going, though, um, I was, I must say, I was really into this film. I think I have watched it before. I, I knew I had, I had a vague memory of watching it before, but all I can remember was kind of Ray Fine stalking around a nightclub and couldn't remember much <laughs> else about it. I think maybe I gave up with it. Um, but here, once it got going, uh, I was genuinely gripped. Um, and I was gripped because I think the characters are well drawn. Or they're at least, as we've discussed before, they're two-dimensional in many ways. But that's often all you need for a film. You know, mm. that they're, they're interesting enough that I cared about them. Um, well, maybe it's a good time to talk about the performance then, because Ray Fiennes is the central performance. The other person who we haven't mentioned at all is Angela Bassett, who's phenomenal in this and I wasn't really aware of her before um, yeah this was the first thing I'd seen her in and when I had seen it I went went out to look for other things she'd been in and the vast majority of them were here is a black woman who is being hard done by the world Let, let's put let's put her in it because because yeah we have to cast a black woman I guess we, can, we can't put a white man in this role for some reason right yeah we know she can act um, and, yeah, she, and she's, she's a good dramatic actor but that wasn't the sort of thing I was looking for no, well, having seen her in this, I could see, because here she is, um, well, we'll move on to her in a second. I suppose Ray Fiennes is, is, is to some extent the main protagonist, though it's, it's pretty close. She kind of, well, she kind of arrives in the movie and then takes it over to become the main protagonist in a way, yeah. which I really like. Um, it, it, it's not quite big trouble in Little China. <laughs> no, but it's, it's a similar fit that you're, you're kind of, it's a almost bait and switch. Not, not quite, but as you say, um, Ray Fiennes, who we last talked about in Schindler's List, mm -hmm. is, you know, if by our definition of what's a good act, actor is, um, uh, do they appear different in another role? I mean, he is massively different here to his character of Eamon Guth, and he's still, so he, he, he is still a repulsive piece of crap. <laughs> yes, yes. But, you, I, I don't know. That there was talk of casting other people, and I've forgotten the other cat. But I, I, um, I, I think he. Well, there's a part about him that doesn't really work for me. But I, I think he works on the very fundamental level that I care about him, even mm. though he's an absolute shitbag. Yeah, that, that's um, the thing. I mean, he, he, he is doing all the drug dealer stuff. He, he's skeevy as hell, and yeah. yet I care at least a little bit about what happens yeah. to him. Yeah, and I, that's, that's not saying I necessarily want the same things he wants to happen. But definitely not. No, but um, but I want good but, yeah. things to happen. And he is. He he really for me he feels a bit like an RPG character with this kind of because uh, we're both role players as well. But he's he's kind of clearly got this perk of gift of the gab. He can almost but not quite talk his way out of any situation. Mm -hmm. um, and it's wonderful to watch him do that, even though he's this really slimy character. Yeah, and I just. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a fun character to watch and to be with. Uh, there, there's a point uh, when he's watching Faith, uh, the girl who got away, on stage yes. uh, that 
as I read that performance, this is basically the first genuine emotion Lenny has experienced all film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, because, yes, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he still gets you to care about him. And, and considering this is the same character who played, the same actor who played Eamon Guth in um, Schindler's List, is, <laughs> he clearly has a, a broad range. The only thing that doesn't quite work for me uh, and I think this is possibly a personal problem, is when I see an American accent coming out of who I know is a British actor and have I'm used to hearing them talk with a British accent. Um, uh, I don't know why. There's a slight dissonance there. I don't think it's a bad yeah. American accent, um, but it, it just jars me slightly. But that's... Um, I, I don't think it's a thing me. I really notice. I, I tend to sink into the role... Yeah, so. I normally do. I don't know why. It's that particular situation. It doesn't bother me so much the other way around. American accents do a British accent. Or even um, Ray Fine's doing a German accent. As he did <laughs> um, but there we go. Um, but he's he's really good in it. Does he have much character development, Lenny? I'm not sure he... I do think so. Okay, um, okay. Well, I mean, I, I need to jump forward a bit to the plot. Um, okay, yep. So, I mean, we, let, let, let's put a, put a pin in this and come back. But right, okay. the, the plot is basically a noir plot. Uh, a, a, it is, the, yes. The, the, the plot that isn't the police conspiracy thing. Including a femme fatale. Yeah, I mean, um, he, he, the... he is the guy who's, who's um, by his own lights, honest. Um, yeah. And probably by his own lights, one of the few honest people. He's not, to be fair, he is not trying to screw anybody over. I mean, he's selling them this stuff that may well turn out to be quite bad for them. But, and and indeed he's using it himself, and it's clearly not good for him. <laughs> but he's a classic noir protagonist in the sense that he has at least some moral code. Yeah, I mean, um, code of ethics on this drug dealer, in effect. Yeah. I mean, exactly. what, yeah. what you pay for is what you get, that kind of thing. Yes, he's not going to do snuff um, shows or whatever. Um, and by the end, I, I there, there is one obvious thing. He has... The, there is the girl who was the girl for him, and yeah. is very clearly, I mean, they have very little in common. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she's clearly not good for him. Yes. But but by the end, he has grown up enough to leave her behind. And I mean, he uh, walks well, away without, you know, trying to get, get her back with him as he's been trying to do all film. Yes, that is, that's a very good point, yes. And it's also, it's not like jarring, it's, it's, well, again, you want him to do it. You know it's the right thing to do, and so it has an emotion for you when he when he leaves her. And then again, when he picks um, Mace's character I, again, I'm not sure that I don't know if that's quite. But well, I don't know. Mace could do so much better. That's, <laughs> that's just what yes. I think. I mean, th- th- I think this was the third or so viewing for me, and this time I finally thought I was getting some idea of what Mace sees in Lenny. That, yes, okay, that's a good point, yes. <laughs> that's fair. That, it, it's not absolutely unbelievable that she could fall for Lenny, which... It, it's not just that he was a good guy back in the day, which is the obvious thing. It's yeah. that she can see some of that still there behind all the flashy facade. Yeah, you're right. And, and Ray finds does a good job of showing it, and um, uh, Angela Bassett does a very good job of... Of showing herself looking for it. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about Mace's character then, because she sort of pops in halfway through, and she's not really introduced with any aplomb. She's just like another character. Well, she, um, she and Max are basically Lenny's buddies. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, they both turn out to be very pivotal characters, of course. But uh, she just gradually gains in importance. You know, there's the really cool scene uh, where she she's mad as hell. She just throws him out of the the limousine um, mm-hmm. because he's because he's dealing basically yeah, while she's trying to work. Um, and then the the that really good scene between them where she is trying to do the intervention thing. She's trying to be the friend. Just tell him what's going on. He's not really, he's still on the make. I, the interaction between the two characters, I, I really do like. And I think it is what carried me through the film, uh, yeah. despite it being a bit overlong. It's 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 a really nice. I, I, I'd like to have mentioned that scene specifically because it's hollow and she knows it's hollow. At the same time as she's trying to get the message across, she's saying memories are meant to fade, but she is hanging on to the memory of the old Lenny, just yes. as much as he is hanging on to the memory of the old Faith. Oh, that's very good. That's much deeper than I went, but that, that is very good. <laughs> well, yes, very good. And it, I suppose that's, in some ways, if the film does talk about that sort of thing, and it doesn't really, but you, as you say, when Lenny is using his memories of fate and she there's a there's another moment where she's like you know this is now this is real life i forget the actual quote but she's just trying to say to stop living in the past just just be here be um Mm. that the film has a few things to say about that i think um yeah i'm i was just reading an article recently uh you can uh feed a pattern recognition program, all the you know, messages and things that you've exchanged with someone who's no longer in your life and get something which will do its best to be a chatbot of them, in effect. Oh my goodness. Now, whether or not that works, I can see it being clearly quite unhealthy. It's, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. It doesn't seem like a very good idea. Um, uh, so, so that, ma- that is the... Well, let, let, let's go on. I mean, Mace, uh, looking at the racial coding, Mace is clearly working poor. She's got this job as a limo driver, yeah. but she can be sacked at a whim. Yes. Um, you know, she misses one day, she's out of a job, probably. Uh, yes, there's certainly that. It, it, That's it's why that, she's uh, so angry about precariousness, it. Yeah. which wouldn't really be widely noticed for another 15, 20 years, as it became yeah. vastly more common. <laughs> but this is she is also... Um, you know, she's staying clean. She's try. She is trying to do the thing that the American dream says she can do, which is work hard and better yourself. Yeah. And she knows it's rubbish, but that's the option she's got. And she still feels it's better than Lenny's um, solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's probably right, seeing what it does to Lenny. <laughs> Um, and it, I suppose it culminates in, uh, I don't suppose interracial kisses were particularly uh, new or interesting by 95. I don't know, it's hard to see it from this perspective, but it's uh, it's just two characters, I guess. From, I, I believe from... the one in Star Trek in the 60s raised a certain amount of ructions, but yeah, that was on television. Well, that involved mind control, I believe, and all manner of things, so it's, uh, it's not quite an unproblematic kiss. Um, uh so yeah, the two protagonists in this film absolutely work for me, and really solid performances from both of them. Um, I have no worries about uh, no worries. I, it, it carried me along the film, and then we we touched upon the other buddy, um, Tom Sizemore's character. Is it Max? Max, yeah. Um, and he, just... he is the private eye. If we're if we're following the noir pattern, yes, yeah. Uh, I I mean I I suppose Tom Sizemore has a lot of um. 
issues outside of <laughs> outside of the film as an as an actor, I think. But um, most of which happened after this, to be fair. Most, yes, yeah. Um, uh, the the wig that he's wearing is distracting for me in this film because I'm used to seeing him without any hair. As it turns <laughs> out, he doesn't have any hair. Um, but it just it it's slightly distracting. But uh, I one thing I did remember going into this film is that he is the betrayer and the murderer but i think he does a good job i mean any if you know you're in a noir film you're kind of expecting it from him um and so it's not really a surprise when he turns out to be the uh well one of the villains this film has got a lot of villains in it it's <laughs> well, one of the things i like is is the way that the stuff he's saying to lenny is all supportive buddy stuff yeah but at the same time, once you realise what's going on, it is clearly intended to manipulate him, to steer him down particular ways of thinking. Exactly. There's a really nice example of that when he's he's found out that Max is the guy who's following Faith, and he confronts him in the nightclub, and Max just turns it around and basically makes it like, I'm doing you a favour, mm-hmm. you know, I'm actually doing you a solid here. And you can see Lenny just manipulated in that way and in retrospect yeah I agree that that's that's really nicely done in a number of scenes but particularly there I get the impression Lenny is much more used to dealing with people who try to screw him over overtly <laughs> yes yeah so he's less good at the manipulation um yeah that's, uh, uh, but I mean it's a it's a relatively small part but it's a good one yeah yeah he, he, he sells it and when he turns you believe it um I mean, there aren't really. Uh, we did, actually we had a. I wouldn't say cameo performance. We have our old friend Vincent Don Donofrio back, who mm-hmm. is from, who was our um, cadet, uh, our murderous cadet from um, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Well, thank you, Full Metal Jacket. Um, he does a good job here as a absolute bastard cop, <laughs> but they, they don't have much to do, I suppose, other than be absolute bastards. Um, I mean, they are unredeemable evil characters. Um, And I guess we've touched upon, like, I suppose, true to its genre, which I agree with you is noir more than anything. Um, The plot is a little bit too twisty for its own good and has probably too Mm. many subplots. For a modern audience, I, 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 I mean, it's the, nothing the, like. For for those of you listening at home, this is me looking unconvinced. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not quite. Uh, well, there probably is Maltese Falcon level of convoluted. It's not quite the. Um, what's the other classic? Um, the Philip Marlowe one, which doesn't actually make any big sense. Big sleep. The big sleep. It's it's not that level of convoluted, but that's because it actually makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, on that, level. well, that's the thing. I do feel it all. I I didn't feel there were so many moving parts that I had trouble keeping track of it. Put it that way. No, it's true. I guess we don't. I don't know that we need the subplot. Oh, I suppose we do. Maybe we do. I, I suppose I'd miss it all. You know, the 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 music producer uh, who then gets killed, and then we have. Uh, um, I, I think we had enough villains with the two cops and Max, probably without adding the music. I suppose he's like a sort of bait and switch in that he seems like the main villain. It turns out he's just a pawn, hmm. as as all the rest of them are. Yeah, I'm probably over-complaining, because it's not... Also, I, I wouldn't remove him simply because Michael Wincott's performance there is... Yeah. yeah, with very few lines and very very little actually to do, he does a really solid job of putting across this guy who... Yeah, he really is that... that um, shallow. Awful. Awful. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly, yeah. Um, 
I think in a way that's a problem. I liked Michael Wincott's performance so much that I wanted him to be the main villain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, but he isn't, and he just gets kind of written off um, uh, with the feedback thing, uh, which again is another explanation of the te- exploration of the technology. Um, I, I absolutely agree. I think he's great. Uh, his voice is absolutely fascinating. As well. I don't yeah. know, that's an amazing um, uh, voice. That man. he's Canadian, I believe. I thought he was British from watching this, but I think uh, I think he's Canadian. But it's a great, yeah. But he, he's great. got that, yeah, slightly undernourished, maybe heroin sort of look about him. He's just in exactly the same way that you can see, you know, there is something a bit more to Lenny and he has got a, a core. You can see absolutely that this guy has not. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more to him than what you see. Um, and then we have Faith as well. Yeah, who, we've, we've rather Lewis. skipped over. Yes, yeah. I, I think uh, she is the most most stereotyped of the roles here, to be fair. Well, she's the femme fatale, isn't she? Um, and she's, yeah. Well, I mean... With, with the exception that she is not trying to lure Lenny into helping her, as the classic femme fatale does. She really doesn't well, want his help. She would be much happier if he were out of her life completely. Yes, that's, I suppose I've seen the femme fatale role undercut so often and uh, uh, altered that perhaps to me it feels a bit fairly kind that she actually has got a heart of gold, even though you're expecting it to be the femme fatale, as we saw in, um, in Chinatown, um, I think. Um, but yes, I agree. She's... Uh, also, man, Catherine Bigelow really wanted to make some music videos, I think, because there are some long music performances with Faith, which is, uh, she's a very good singer. I think they hired her because she was actually doing the singing in it, um, or one of the reasons they hired her is because she could sing. I I do have Um, some first solo albums as well as the soundtrack for this film. Okay, alright, you're a big fan. Um, (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I I like, but I agree, she's got the, the least interesting part in some way it's not a bad performance in fact uh, one of the things I really do like about this film I don't think there is a bad performance in it no one mm. really stands out as as clunky or anything they all convince they all do exactly what they have to do yeah I mean some of the parts are too small really to put over anything like a full character but yes. what what you what you see is good I agree yes um I, we've been quite um I don't know, not effusive, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. I enjoyed, um, again, I feel the tech was a little bit underused, but the plot carried me along. Um, and I ultimately, I cared about what happened to our, our characters. And the film, well, I, I don't know if there's a problem or not, because I enjoyed it, but the film almost has a happy ending as well. Hmm. Um, well, yes, I mean, to us now... It does look awfully naive that if you can just get the the evidence to the actual honest LA policeman, yeah. everything will but, be all right. And you know, people would actually care about well, two white cops shooting a black guy. <laughs> well, this is my problem in a way that um, uh, Catherine Bigelow starts a riot, okay, which is believable, and then. The thing that I can't believe is that then the police commissioner coming along saying, stop, these are the villains, is then going to suddenly diffuse this riot that's Mm. already started. I mean, as we know, as they should have already known from the LA riot, it's not really about that anymore. And people aren't just going to stop rioting. So I I feel like starting a riot and then just, that's it. I I think you have to assume that it hasn't really spread beyond that core group of people who've actually seen what's going on yet. And, you, you know, give, to, given another yeah. 30 seconds, it would. Yeah. But, but uh, I, I yeah. agree, it's it's not as clear as it could be on that. 
uh, yeah, it's, it's a slightly um, clunky ending, uh, or, or that bit of it is a clunky. I was very happy with the ending because I wanted them to have a happy ending because I cared about them. Yeah, um, I, I but... think that, uh, earlier, uh, in fact, it's Max, and we know why he's saying it, but he's making a good point. You know, if you let the thing out, things are going to be really bad. If you don't let the thing out, they'll just stay fairly bad. Yes. And yeah, yes, I mean, we, we, know, we know in retrospect why he's saying it, but he, he's not just saying, no, no, don't do this, do that. He, he is actually making a sensible argument about why that would be a sensible approach. Well, that, yeah, that's, a, but it does feel like, yes, but there's all, uh, manner of problems with that approach as well. Uh, hmm. uh, which is nice as well. I mean, the film's not pretending that, that, um, they're, they're all doing the right thing all the time and they know what to do. Um, you know, there's some suggestion that Lenny will, give up that tape in order to save face and again that's a really nice talk from mace where she's like this is bigger than you can't just use that this isn't something you can just use for leverage mm. this is more important than that um there's a lot i mean mace is a really good moral center you know i've talked about um uh lenny being the anti-hero and she's she's really the hero yeah um and it's really nice to have someone you can just flat out root for <laughs> i don't know that we've had that for a while i suppose mm. we did a bit with oscar schindler um but um <laughs> here uh, she's just i i mean i i i agree i mean i i hadn't remembered her performance i don't know how far i got through but this time i was just i was blown away by angela bassett um uh, you know, she is uh, uh, to me. She's strikingly beautiful in this. She's spectacular in the action sequences. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should talk about the action sequences a bit because yeah. um, Catherine Bigelow is uh, now. I don't know if she was then, but now renowned as a as a very accomplished action director. Well, I, th- uh, I think you can see this a bit in the early films. I mean, certainly. I mean, she, she will go on from here to become the first female director to win an Oscar uh, for The Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker, which I haven't seen. I'd like, maybe we'll talk about that here as well. Um, the impression I get, though, is that part of the way she gets accepted in Hollywood of the 80s and 90s is to be more male-gazy, more male-focused yeah. than the male directors. I mean, Point Break is a very male film, for example. Yes, absolutely. And yes. Near, Near Dark has female characters in it, but they're not the protagonists. Yes. And so on. Uh, so... I, I think I agree with you that she is, she's, uh, well, uh, sorry, carry on. Uh, I was just going to say that, um, Cameron's treatment, uh, with, uh, into which Bigelow had input, uh, he described it later as basically, uh, she, she did the action and the noir plotting and he did the emotional side. And I think a lot of people assumed it would be the other way around because she's a woman. <laughs> yes, but having seen, I mean, that makes perfect sense. You know, having seen, well, both Terminator and Terminator 2 are quite emotional films. Titanic... And we, we talked a lot about the emotional core on Aliens. Yes, exactly. He is actually quite an emotional director. And, and that is less prominent here. I mean, no, it's not absent, but it's less prominent in this mm. film. Uh, not to its detriment. I think it, it has enough emotion for me, but... Uh, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's a style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, as far as the action sequences go, you know, one, the one that stuck in my mind is the attempted assassination on Lenny and Mace, um, uh, when they're in the car and then mm-hmm. the car's on fire and they have to drive, she suddenly drives the car and they have to escape. And that was, you know, that really worked for me. Um, yeah. 
you know, the stakes, you know, again, as I've talked about before, what I care about in an action sequence is, do I care about the characters? Do I understand what the stakes are? And in both cases, yes, I did here, and it, it really does. Also, a thing I didn't complain about when I first saw this, but I do a lot with modern films, is you the camera stays stable enough that you can see, okay, this is where they are, this is where the bad guys are. That's, yeah. that's the sort of distance, that's the sort of, here are the sight lines... It's plausible that the bad guys might not see what they're getting up to in the car at this point, but when they get closer, they will, that kind of thing. Yeah, now it's all going to wobble all over the place, and it's all going to be like Platoon, where you don't really know what's happening, and I, I agree with you. I, I prefer a, a well-staged <laughs> shot where I understand what's going on. The, the other the thing is um, the final fight in the hotel room mm. uh, between uh, Lenny and Max. Yes. In terms of... You know, n- both of these people can handle themselves. The, the characters I'm talking about, obviously the actors have to train a bit. Um, yes. Neither of them is, is a full-time beating people up guy. Yes. And they, yes. they are gradually wearing down their reserves of endurance, but they've got to keep going back because otherwise the other guy's going to finish them off. Yeah, and that, that, in terms yeah. of the brutality and... Ooh, Making it look interesting and exciting, but not glorious. Yeah, that's always a fine line to, to cover. I mean, you, you don't want to put yourself into the position of anybody in that fight. No. They're, they're not having fun, they're doing it because they have to. But there are moments, you know, that I'm thinking, I suppose, the basement fight with Mace, um, where... That, 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 she... that's, Mace gets to be kick-ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she gets a, a Joss Whedon moment, if you like, of, of being the Buffy character of... Um, only again, I think here it's it. I don't know. I, I don't want to do a disservice to, to Buffy, which I, I do think is very good. But I um, here, what I like about it is I, exactly as you said that the characters read their environment. I think maybe we've touched on this before. I'm certainly getting slight deja vu. But the characters, and particularly Mace, reads her environment, reads mm. all her options, picks the best option that is available to her. It's not unrealistic. You just see she's no-nonsense about, right, I'll grab this taser, shoot this guy in the chest. It's just, it's well done. It's not, it doesn't feel clunky. It feels fluid. It feels believable. And I I can absolutely see why she's a renowned action director now. Um, yeah, and, and it's also a an environmental fight. I mean, when there yes, is stuff lying yes. around, it gets used. It's not just yes. set dressing. And the people who are best in those fights are the ones who do know and understand that you have to exploit your environment to win. Um, it doesn't feel like sort of I don't know the ending of Unforgiven, where he just suddenly comes in and shoots everyone a bit unrealistic. That always felt a bit unrealistic to me. Whereas here, you believe that Mace can do this stuff. I'm being a bit effusive here. <laughs> but yes, I, I agree. That, and that's a nice contrast between that very kick-ass basement scene and exactly as you say, these two characters who aren't really fighters in the same way, but just desperately want to kill the other person or at least mm. get out of this situation. This kid, it's nicely done. Um, shall we touch on... Because uh, you, you, um, you said, you know, in some ways she's just trying to be more to get into the boys club she's trying to be even more boy than than a lot of the male directors we have in this film uh a, a number of times point of view rape murder sequence mm. um which i must say I, it's it's awkward and, and territory to, but i would feel if that was a male director 
there would probably be more eyebrows raised and more questions about whether there was exploitative or not. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about those? Because one of my, again, coming back, one of my issues when we talked on in our Lovecraft episode about Alan Moore's um, provenance is that there's a very gratuitous rape sequence in it, which just... Oh, uh, although you could argue would happen, it just is not somewhere you want to go mentally necessarily. Um, how did you feel about? Well, I mean, start at level one. Um, the, the primary feeling I experienced was uncomfortable. I don't want to be watching this. Yes. Which, yeah. on the one hand, is exactly what I'm supposed to feel. On the other hand, is not an ideal thing when I'm not sitting in a cinema but watching it at home, where I've got a pause button. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does not make the error that a lot of um, scenes of this sort do of making it sexy. No, I agree. It's, it certainly doesn't feel sexy. I mean, that that's... All right, well, what I think the overall feeling of this film is I don't really want to be any of these people, except maybe Mace, because she's great. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, but that there is no sense of... Ooh, this is fun as well, and whatever yeah. our uh, invisible invisible viewpoint is getting out of it, this is not you know your normal jollies. No, exactly, and I, I, it does. It, I I'm a bit undecided. I I think it feels a bit. Could it I be agree cut with a bit? you, probably. Yeah, it feels like it's dwelled, but and it's not titillated. In fact, it almost feels like. I'm going to shock you, I'm going to shock the absolute shit out of you, and it just really hammers it home that it is incredibly unpleasant. Till And it really explains exactly what happened to the point where you, you do start to feel a bit queasy about the whole I mean, thing. I, I, I've tried to be consistent here. I, I did uh, recently do a, a blog review of Pulp Fiction, and that definitely has a I'm going to be shocking here scene. I agree, and that is probably done... Yeah, that's not done as well, is it? Um, I mean, if if now it may as... be because I'm mo I'm more in sympathy with Bigelow from the rest of the film. Um, yeah, I I felt that this got away with it in terms of not being too much, or at least not much too much. Where whereas Pulp Fiction didn't so much. But this I, I this is my less, reaction. It's less tonally jarring in that the the whole film is about low life and. Uh, unpleasantness and murder and dystopia, whereas Pulp Fiction isn't... Uh, it feels like a deliberate, aha, got you with this. Um, yeah. I, I agree, though. It, it's it's a difference of degree. Um, um, and, and maybe the film, I think, probably dwells on it a bit too much here. Uh, you know, it's repeated a number of times. And I think we see the whole sequence, don't we? I mean, there isn't, or, or certainly most of it. Yeah. Um, it's it's problematic. Um, I, well, I don't know about problematic. You know, rapes and murders do happen. So um, something like it is quite important to the story. Yes. Whether it needs to be that graphic or that prolonged, I don't know. Yeah, we probably uh, that is a difficult issue, and there isn't really. Uh, does it make a? I mean, it clearly does make a victim of the woman. Does it? Uh, uh, but we have other strong female characters here and different female characters. I I don't know, other than, you know, I guess all we can go off is our gut feeling that it's like, oh, okay, this is pretty unpleasant. And, and seeing the other characters, it's interesting, the other characters almost don't react quite as badly as you would. Oh, I disagree. 
Well, no, I suppose Lenny does react pretty badly. <laughs> and this is Lenny um, who has seen shit, you know. Mm. Um, Maybe that's the point, yeah. But we could almost have again. Doesn't, no, I shouldn't have criticised the film on it, but we could almost have got it just from Lenny's reaction rather than. Anyway, it's uh, but I, it is a criticism I think that has been levelled at Catherine Bigelow that she she uh, uh, sometimes is over the top with well, particularly violence. Um, I, as far as the violence goes, I don't know. Maybe we're just more in your in your after twenty five years. Oh, probably of, um, so, but I, I I thought it worked. Yes. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I, I don't have a lot of qualms about... I suppose, actually, I did have some qualms about seeing a fairly graphic murder in Dagon. Um, so there we go. I am being <laughs> consistent as well. Um, I, I, I think the thing that I'm, I'm getting from this is uh, it's, it's a thing one often sees when women are forcing their way into what has basically been a male club for, yes. for whatever reason. Uh, one of the ways the pioneers seem to do this is by acting more male than the men. Yeah, yeah. And... Which is a- you know, whether whether they change later or whether their presence then makes it clear that, OK, it's not actually going to end the world if, if we let someone without a penis into this club. It, that, yes. And yeah. th- that then makes it possible for other women to, to um, do it without that same adaptation. Yeah, maybe it needs someone to, to break the bound. I mean, the fact remains, she is, you know, just on the evidence here, she's a phenomenally good action director mm. um, and a good actor. If the performances are anything to go by, she's clearly a good actor's director too. So, you know, I guess none of the other matters, whether she's female or not, she made it, to my mind, a very good film here. Um, uh, I, spe- I have one other issue with it, um, and that is the... The racism and the racial violence, you know, the very, I mean, I suppose I, I read somewhere that it was kind of um, influenced by the Rodney King, but it, it almost feels like a reenactment in some ways, you know, it is really quite strong overtones of the Rodney King. Um, uh, I know that wasn't a murder, but, you know, there was, I think when they're actually beating up Mace, uh, there are there are cries that were verbatim from the Rodney King video, I believe, but I, I may be misremembering that. Um, I ju- I felt to some extent it didn't, and maybe this is my slightly issue with the technology as well. It didn't so much explore racism, which you don't have to, but it, I was a bit uncomfortable about it being used as a MacGuffin, which I felt was the main thing mm. here. I, it just it it felt more like dressing and the thing that drove the plot forward rather than a serious examination. I mean, we have a, you know, a key black character who's working class. Um, uh, but it didn't really investigate, to me, the injustices of it. it. It just felt more like a MacGuffin to me. And I'm a little uncomfortable how I feel. Mm, I mean, I will grant you it is not a film about racism. It's a film in no. which racism is quite important, but not, but yes. not called out explicitly. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say you're wrong. Uh, I didn't get quite the same feeling about of it. Um, no, I think no. possibly I'm, I'm I'm thinking of that uh, scene where they go to is it a brother's house? Um, where yes. where the party is getting together? Yes, that's right. Yes, and is there is just this sense of the these people, any of them, could be. Uh, taken out by those those two bastard cops, yeah, and nothing well, would ever happen to them. 
on on Mason's yeah. face. Maybe that maybe I you know it's just sort of expected that you you know the sort of situation in LA um uh, and how people react and why this would be a right and why it's so unjust without really investigating it. And you know that isn't what the film's about and the fact is that is the truth of it. It certainly was in 1992. Um, it's not sadly dramatically better in 2022. Um yeah, so maybe I'm I, I just felt uncomfortable about it being... It felt like it was used as the plot driver without... It, it could have had a different MacGuffin and still mm, maybe... Perhaps. Maybe, maybe that's not quite true, though. Perhaps I'm being a bit harsh there. I mean, that's... Um, <laughs> that That's the closest I come to a criticism, I suppose. Uh, I mean... The, I mean, we're, we're, we're picking up a bunch of things that maybe don't quite work or aren't quite to our taste. Yeah. My own yeah. feeling, at least, is that overall it, it holds together. I mean, I, I was glad yes. to watch it again. Yeah, and I was I was glad to give it another chance because I had remembered trying it and giving up. I think I or I barely remembered it, but I yeah, I I very much enjoyed it. I, again, my definition did the film move me emotionally. Yeah, I cared about the characters, I cared about the plot. Um, I for my taste, maybe I would have wanted a bit more sci-fi, but it didn't really need it. Um, yeah, I I think it's really good, really good film. Half an hour longer than it needs to be. That's uh, that would be my main criticism <laughs> with it. As a as as we all know now, being a time poor person, um, I think that's really my aside from everything else we said. Uh, that's my main issue with it. Um, let me just glance over my notes. Now I think we've covered everything I thought of. Um, anything else you would like to say about Strange Days? Mm. I, th- I think I've uh, said most of the things I want to say. I mean, it's o- oddly for me, and particularly oddly given when I watched it, I don't think it's been a huge influence on my gaming. Um, the-, the tech in particular uh, is-, is very clearly there for, for that particular purpose. And it's, yeah. I mean, it-, it turns up in various uh, science fiction settings, but usually as one of a whole bunch of things, whereas he- here it is the science fictional thing. Exactly, it's, it's that kind of. Uh, this is the difference between your world and and this one type of sci-fi setting. On the other hand, um, the paranoia, the factions within factions. Yeah, okay, I'm guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't live there so much as you, Roger, but um, I appreciated it. Yeah, it's 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 a good I, as a noir film. It is. I I would say it's one of the better noir films we've watched. For sure. Yeah, I mean, we'd, ha- we'd have to call it um, probably neo noir simply because uh, Lenny is such a piece of crap. But... <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. on the other hand, you know, he's rising to the occasion. He's trying to do the honest thing. So I think I think in a way it's closer to our to noir than neo noir in that we do actually have some heroic characters here, yeah. and someone to root for. Yeah, fair. but it's on the borders. Tech noir, I think uh, James Cameron called it, uh, which is the name of his club in the Terminator. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is it a masterpiece? For me, it is. I mean, while as I mean, we've just been talking about things that don't work, but for me, overall, yeah. yes, it, it is yeah. definitely a film I would I would not want to be without in my collection. Yeah, uh, it, it's one I dip into from time to time. I, I say I don't rewatch really it often. But it, it's definitely become part of my mental landscape. Again, I think I agree. I think it's. Um, I, I think aesthetically, it's not got the visual power of Blade Runner. As I told, it didn't have the the kind of budget for that. I don't think. But I think I certainly care about Lenny more than I care about Rick Deckard. Um, 
the the acting I much prefer here. I like Blade Runner, but I really feel it's style over substance in a lot of ways. It's incredibly mm. uh, impressive style, but here there is more substance to it, and it's it's more interesting. Um, I agree. I I think it is a masterpiece. I think it was criminally under. I I can see why it didn't connect with audiences, maybe, but um. It's a real shame it did quite as badly as it did. Um, uh, like it, it earned like less than a quarter of its budget or something. I, again, I know mm. these things are hard to judge. Um, yeah, uh, forty-two. Uh, going by the official numbers, forty-two million um, nominal budget and eight million box office. Oof, oof, that's not good. That's not good numbers, is it? Um, I yeah, I I think it was really badly done by. It, it certainly stands up today. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I wish it was a bit shorter, but that is really, I could say that about almost every film <laughs> we've mm. watched, so I'm not going to... And it, um, it, it certainly it. didn't do good things for Bigelow's career. It was it was five years till her next film, which was The Weight of Water, which I haven't seen. She's had a number of um, flops, I think. Um, I don't know, did it take the Hurt Locker for her to get taken really seriously, or was she already up and coming by then? I, I'm not sure. I, I'd be very happy to watch more Catherine Bigelow films, Um yeah, I mean, she, she's only made, uh, is it about yeah, 11, 12 altogether? Okay. Uh, well, I'd be interested. I'm not so sure it's not Bravo to Zero. The one that, uh, well, I'd be interested to watch it. The, her latest one about the hunt for Osama bin Laden apparently um, glorifies torture in a way that I'd, yeah. I'd, I suppose I'd be interested in looking Well, at. Zero Dark Thirty, I mean, we, we may come That's back what? and t- we may talk about this. I, I doubt that it will be the subject of an episode, but it, I, if, okay. if we do the Hurt Locker, as I plan to, we'll talk about it more then. Yeah. Uh, but the, the very short version is it was made, it was written as a film about the futile hunt for Osama bin Laden. And then they caught uh, it. And then they caught it. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is difficult. Um, all right. Well, we'll, well, let's leave that on the back burner because we may well come back to that. Um, but yes, very good. Um, very good. Thanks for the uh, tips on your recommendation, really, this one. And um, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, I, enjoyed it. I don't think it's any secret to say we, we've had a bit, a bit of a dry spell in terms of going through the years recently. We've, we've been oh, uh, sometimes yeah. looking for things to, to enthuse about. And this is this is one I saw not at the time of release, but pretty soon afterwards, uh, probably mm. a year or so later, uh, when it when it got uh, various home media releases, and it it just grabbed me at the time, and and it continues to grab me now. I don't think it's just nostalgia. Yeah, so I'm glad it's it's very different um, to a lot of things we've watched, um, though. Yeah, closer to art, but yeah, really successful, really good, great performances. I'm always happy to see Ray Fiennes. Um, I will uh, certainly look out for Angela Bassett in future. As you say, she has very different roles to this. But yeah, she flew out of the screen at me. She's amazing in this. I guess we are about done for this episode. Uh, remains to say only the issue isn't whether you're paranoid, Nick. I mean, look at this. The issue is whether you're paranoid enough. <laughs> Who told you to say that? So now, uh, that, that's words, a phrase I've been living by for near on 30 years now. So, <laughs> If only it had been proved wrong at any point during the last 30 years. <laughs> All right, well, lovely to be paranoid with you, Roger. Um, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>